from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everybody listening to our podcast. Yes, hi. (laughs) Welcome to another episode. We're happy you're here today. If you are a new listener, welcome especially to you. And thank you to our faithful listeners. We know we have people who listen every week and have even, maybe if they came into our podcast late, have binged on all the past episodes. Mm, Thank you, everybody, for actually caring about what we're talking about here on this podcast. I had, is this a word? I was going to use the word flabbergastation. (laughs) No, you made up (laughs) that word. Did I make up that word? Mm, I think so. Well, I'm going to use it. I had a... over-the-top, kind of bone-rattling flabbergastation today. Indeed. I witnessed it. You you were the source of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was carrying my little computer case. It's kind of like my man purse. And I was carrying some packages from the mailbox into the house. And you had told me that you were getting a haircut. I did. You did not tell me you were getting a haircut. (laughs) I thought it was just a trim. Typically it is. You're right. Uh... So Wendy, if you haven't seen pictures or videos of Wendy, and if you haven't, go check out on YouTube some of our episodes of this podcast that we've recorded on YouTube. Anyways, you will notice Wendy has for a long time had shoulder length hair. And when it gets a little long, we get a little trim. But today was not a little trim. No. <laughs> you will see what I'm talking about next time we're on YouTube together. That's right. There has been a major shift. And I was flabbergasted <laughs> in, in, in the most beautiful way because I don't know when I'm looking at you right now with this haircut. Yeah. And it reveals your person so beautifully, and it 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 knocked me over. It bowled uh, me over. I, by the way, listeners, I actually did not mean to shock Christopher in in that when I reminded him I was getting haircut today, whenever that was, I or was it this morning? I think. Yeah, I, yeah. You said you're getting your hair. I thought I had already nope told nope, him nope. that I was getting a shortcut nope. because honestly. A couple of my friends know, and my sister knew. Like it wasn't something that I was and our daughter knew intentionally keeping a secret. I really did think he knew, and I thought when I reminded him of it, he would know what I was referring to. But he, I had not told him that it was going to be dramatic. So he was so shocked, and I didn't know whether to be glad or feel bad that I had Um, failed to communicate. But it was it was was wonderful. It was was a moment in our day. It was quite the moment. (laughs) And I'll just put it this way. You look fabulous. <laughs> oh, thank you, my love. Thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> so am I. Moving on then. Okay, moving okay on. what's going on with the TOB Institute? TOB Institute. We have a nice, what's the word I'm looking for? I hate it when I go searching for words in my brain and they don't show up. 
Well, you could and then I choose the wrong word. Why don't you call it a flabbergastation? That's, that's <laughs> our new word of the day. I was, I was about to say we have a slate of courses. Is that an expression? Does that have anything to do with the way yeah, people actually speak? I think so. Does it? Yeah. I, I, my brain is mushy. Anyway, we have a new slate of courses, a, a lineup. How about that? A new lineup of fall courses. Check out the link below. We have the philosophy of John Paul II being offered. Uh, we have, a, I'm pretty sure, a T.O.B. one. These are online, by the way. So this is for anybody around the world. And please, if you haven't heard us say this enough, I'll say it again. Do not let money get in the way of you attending a course at the Theology of the Body Institute. We have a scholarship program. Please apply for scholarship. Uh, we never, ever want money to get in the way of people who want to take advantage of our courses. So, so look at our slate, if that's a word, of new courses uh, through the link below. We have the philosophy course. We have a TOB1 course. And there's one other. I'm forgetting which one it is. Uh, those are the online courses for the fall. We also have an in-person course taught by Bill Donahue, my esteemed colleague. And it's a brand new course. He is so excited about it. We all at the Institute are so excited about it. It's called Poets for the Kingdom, and it's connecting the lives and writings and teachings of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Are there two, two R's? J.R.R. Tolkien uh, with the theology of the body and the whole ethos of what we do here at the Institute. One of our great charisms, I think, as an institute is showing the role of art, good art, to open our eyes and ears, and hearts, and our whole bodies to the sacramentality of the world. And this is a, a showcase course where we are taking these two great artists, Lewis and Tolkien, and showing how their beautiful, insightful art opens us to the sacramentality of the world, and hence the theology of our bodies. I'll just say a few things on the topic of yes. these course updates. Uh, one is that I just want to let our listeners know the reason why online courses are scheduled is because it's not a solo on your own online course experience. Correct. You will be taking that course with other people and have the opportunity to be in question and answer sessions. Live Q&As through Zoom. With the instructor of the course and the other students participating. And you're also just paced uh, together yes. to yes. complete the course over um, two weeks. So um, it's an excellent experience. And that's why it's scheduled versus just Great. kind of Thank you, whenever. love. For, I, I kind of take that for granted. Yeah. But you are right to clarify that because that's not the case with a lot of online courses. Right. You you purchase the course and you watch it whenever you want. No. No, we, we're, we're trying. I know it's not entirely possible, but we're trying to, as much as is possible, recreate the feel of a group going through the class right. together like mm -hmm. they have here when they come to PA in person. Yes, exactly. The other thing I wanted to share is that all of the 2024 courses are also Thank up you. on the schedule now. Thank you. That means you read, you actually read the emails we send out. I do. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for actually reading the email, Wendy. You are absolutely right. We have that's a good thing to share with everybody. If you are looking at 2024, and we're hoping to take an, an institute course, uh, those courses are now up and ready for registration. I think we go a year. We post them all for 2024. But if I'm not mistaken, 
You can only register, register if it's a year or less. Or less. Okay. Uh, in the future, but you can still be. But planning. you can see the schedule and plan out your calendar. And, mm-hmm. and if you've if you've taken an online course but never been with us in person, uh, yeah, consider in twenty twenty four coming to be with us. Mm-hmm. We would sure love to have you. Awesome. You ready for a question? I am. Let's do it. This is a question from a patron named Nicole. Hello, Nicole. My question requires some backstory. I am married to a wonderful, faith filled man. We have three beautiful living children, three boys. This past year, I was pregnant with our fourth child, another little boy, whom we named Daniel Francis. However, I developed a subchorionic hematoma at 11 weeks pregnant. This is a collection of blood between the placenta and the inner lining of the uterus. These hematomas usually resolve themselves. However, my case continued to worsen, and I began to hemorrhage until the end of my pregnancy. Mercy. At 22 weeks pregnant, I went into early labor and delivered our son on Wednesday of Holy Week. He lived for only two hours. We were able to baptize him. Beautiful. And and because we practice Eastern Catholicism. Oh, I love the Church of the East, Nicole. Bless you. Chrismate him. Chrismate, beautiful. That means confirmation for those Latin Catholics who might not know that. Mm -hmm. We held and loved him through his short time with us. Oh, This has been the most difficult and sorrowful time of my life. Oh, bless you. Yet there has been great beauty, grace, and mercy. I feel the Lord's presence in a way more real than ever before. Wow. I know he weeps with us and walks with us. I know he's holding our little Daniel Francis. I've never been more sure of the resurrection. Joy has a strange way of standing hand in hand with sorrow. Despite these graces, my heart still daily grapples with the question of whether my womb, my body, and indeed my person can possibly be good. Mm. Mm. I know intellectually that I was made good, Mm. but now I struggle to assent to this truth. Mm. My womb, a place that is meant to protect and sustain Mm. life, has seemed to become a place of disease Mm. and death. Mm. My body rejected to the point of death the thing my heart holds most dear and precious, my child. How can this be the fruit of something or someone good? I'm having such difficulty integrating the spiritual truth that I'm still good and a beloved daughter of God with the physical reality that my body wrought the death of my own son. Mm. I feel ruptured. Can theology of the body help Mm. me to grapple with this mystery? Wow. 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 Wow, 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 wow. I'll stop with that many wows because I just sounded like a dog. Um, wow. No, I, there's another one. I, wow. I, wow, Nicole. Uh, I just, I wanted to sit here for a moment and, and receive what I'm feeling is like a flood of graces, almost like this is the image that comes, the, the waters of the womb. Uh, opening up and pouring out graces uh, on on me in receiving this question, and I hope on all of our listeners, because Nicole, you just put into words something so sacred, something so holy, something so personal, mm. which is a gift to me and I hope to all of our listeners to hear your own 
real life, almost it seems like in real time, I almost feel like I just had the privilege to walk through some of that with you in receiving your heart in this mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I almost feel like I'm, I'm getting it in real time, the opportunity to walk with someone else through the Paschal Mystery. That is right where you are, dear sister Nicole. You are immersed, uh, like baptized, like baptismal font immersion in the mystery of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And your body, your body is telling this story. With great reverence, I don't want to give some quick pat answer here. Uh, with great reverence, Nicole, for what you have walked through and are still walking through and are honoring us by sharing with us. May I, with that reverence, point out some of the words you used. I was really struck by that blending of joy and sorrow. Mm -hmm. I was really struck by that I have faith in the resurrection like I've never had, and yet my body is also in some way a testimony to death. And isn't my womb supposed to be this sanctuary of life that sustains and nourishes, and yet my womb malfunctioned and brought about the the premature death of my child, the premature birth which led to the premature death. Wow. Wow. This is the Paschal Mystery. This is it. You're in it. You're soaking in it. You are immersed in it. And you are reckoning with it so honestly and so courageously. And I just want to say, good on you, girl. Like, this is real prayer. Uh, Walking with Jesus through his death and resurrection is not some pious mask we put on to be religious or so-called holy, uh, which is really a false holiness when we try to put on a religious mask to walk through the death and resurrection of Jesus. No, no, no. This is lived experience. This is lived experience, bodily, incarnate experience of death and resurrection. And the scripture that comes to my mind is, we carry the death of the Lord in our bodies, St. Paul says. So, so please hear this, dear sister. Christ, by everything Christ touched, everything Christ entered into was sanctified. Christ entered into death. Death in Christ, with Christ, is a sanctified experience. Thank God you had the opportunity to baptize and confirm little Daniel Francis. Wow. 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 So you know Daniel Francis, through the grace of those sacraments, is himself immersed in the Paschal mystery, bathed in, uh, clothed in, baptized in, and confirmed in the Paschal mystery that Paul is talking about right here. And here it is. This is true of your body. This is true of Daniel Francis's body. This is true of Christ's body. And we are Christ's body. You are Christ's body. Here it is. We carry in our bodies the death of the Lord, St. Paul says. Why? 
so that the life of the Lord might also be manifested in our bodies. You are wrestling precisely with that mystery. And I, I just, I want to reverence your real wrestling. You are not pietizing your struggle with death. You are not pietizing your struggle with the fact that your body, which is meant to give life, has actually played a role here in death. Well, well guess what? We can extend that to every mother and father on the planet. Because every child conceived in the womb of a mother, guess what that child will inevitably experience? Death. To conceive a life is to bring a life into being, and we know that every life that comes into being will experience death. The good news is Christ has himself experienced death so that he could enable us through his death and resurrection, experience new life. I'll share one more thought, and then I'm going to invite you, Wendy, to share what's ever on your heart. Mm. This is the logic of our faith. You know, it's not a, a new agey idea that the earth is mother. It's a richly, deeply biblical idea. Uh, on Marian feast days, we will often hear the scripture from the Old Testament. The earth opened up and justice birth, b- burst forth. Birth, that was a little slip, a little slip right into the truth of what I'm getting at. The earth that has opened up is Mary, and the justice that has sprung forth is Christ, right? The earth is mother, right? The earth, matter, matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, is mater, M-A-T-E-R, mother, right? Uh, the, the land gives life, uh, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. All of, all of those images of, of the land, the earth, the fertility of the earth. Why is Jesus always talking about seeds and soil and farming and, and, and the new life that springs from the soil and all fertility of creation, all the fertility of the earth is summed up and fulfilled in the fertility of Mary's womb. And this goes richly and deeply into the tradition of the church, the theological tradition of the church, the fathers of the church, the saints throughout the centuries. They linked together the virginal birth of the Lord from Mary's womb with the virginal rebirth of Christ from the tomb. Right? We read in the scriptures that the tomb that Jesus was laid in was in a garden. Hello, hello, hello. You are a garden enclosed, my sister, my bride. There it is, Mother Earth, Mother Earth, Mother Earth, garden, garden, garden. He's laid in a garden, and it says in John's gospel that no one had been laid in that tomb. It's a virgin tomb. What are we, what are we discovering? Christ was born the first time from a virgin womb, and he was born again from a virgin tomb. Right? The, the whole reality of sin in the world, which we all suffer from uh, to one degree or with one expression or another, and this is a particular suffering, Nicole, that you are par- bearing in your body. The very, f- the very result of original sin is that the place of life uh, can become a place of death. Uh, that's, original, that's the impact of original sin, the place of life, the womb. Uh, Satan, that's Satan's goal, to turn the place of life into a place of death. That's Satan's goal. That's one of the rotten fruits of the fallen world. We have to reckon with death. You're reckoning with this in your body. But here's the miracle and glory of the gospel. If the enemy wants to turn the place of life into a place of death, wants to turn the womb into a tomb, here's the glory of the gospel. 
Christ came in the world, into the world, to turn the tomb, the place of death, back into a womb, the place of life, place of life. Your womb, dear sister Nicole, is sanctified through your baptism. And remember what Paul says about baptism. Do you not know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death? And if you are willing to carry in your body the death of the Lord, you will also carry in your body the life of the Lord. Nicole, your womb, in a very, very real, very practical, very painful way, has carried within it the death of the Lord. Why? So that your womb might also carry in it the life of the Lord. How will that be manifested in your life? I don't know. But I know that the whole world one day will see it in your glorified body. Mm. This is the promise. This is the promise. This is the promise. I um, can just imagine, although you and I have not experienced what this family has experienced, what this couple has experienced, I can imagine how intense the suffering around this whole experience would be. Um, Certainly, I could imagine a great deal of anxiety during the pregnancy as the bleeding was going on Mm. as Mm. to how it might unfold and... And yet there was time in some ways to oh, prepare in that sense that when he was born too early, there was that presence of mind to love him fully during his short life and to bless him with sacraments. There's something of a gift in that um, for this couple in there, just tuning into how can we respond right now when things are not going as we would want them to at all, yet we're the parents of this child. What can we give him in the time that we have? And mm. and so the, the love poured out during the pregnancy as it lasted and the, the loving way that they spent that brief time together after his birth is a beautiful testimony, such a such a beautiful, beautiful thing to hold and remember um, in your hearts for always that that this little person um, is a beautiful gift and a full mystery of a human being mm. whom those who are in heaven now are already enjoying and you will one day enjoy in heaven in his fullness. It's such an incredible gift that you've received. And I, I know that any parent who experiences a, a, a death of their child, especially if they feel that in some way they should have, could have prevented that, there's a, a heavy burden to work through that. Um, and I, I feel like there's some sense in which, um, as a, a pregnant mom, the whole you're putting a great deal of trust in the just the biological realities of your body and what it's designed to do to do what's best for your child and this i think inner conflict over all of that having mysteriously not gone as it did in the other pregnancies for which we're so grateful but in this case it it didn't go that way and there I'm using that word mystery because I I do think there is something of just a certain standing back from it a little bit that is helpful to say I, I cannot expect to 
fully understand this, that that some of what Christopher shared about the the, the mystery of our our fallenness and our bodily imperfection is painful to us. Yeah. It's, it's painful for our lives and for other people's lives. And, and yet we know God has a good plan and, and we know we're longing for that, that perfection, that the joy of all being fully right. Mm, mm. And, and that taste of the right and good and beautiful that is so wonderful. We want to savor it and mm. s- just delight in it. And it's like a, a sour taste has been introduced here into this experience of motherhood and of just the feminine embodiedness right now. And I I know that that is going to be a, a process, but I, and I am so grateful for Nicole's honesty about yeah. some of the challenges of that process. But I do think what we come back to is a deeper knowing and trusting that God does have a good plan for every one of us, and that suffering doesn't keep that from being his goal. He incorporates it. He makes it fruitful, makes suffering fruitful. And as much as in this time, the grief is for the loss of of how Daniel would have been growing in the womb and been born had all this not happened, you know, obviously any family is feeling that mm. in the initial phases that to trust that there's more to come and my only just advice is if if i can even say that word but just thought i have is that as these questions about your own goodness mm. are are troubling your mind and heart just to be aware that and i know you're receiving many graces so i don't want this to sound like a criticism but just to be aware that sometimes the evil one will drag us down into mm. kind of a a deeper darkness that would keep us from really receiving certain graces in mm. our lives. And if those around you, especially the the lives of your other three boys and your husband's love, can can just protect you from mm. heading into a place where you're you're no longer in touch with what you know to be true deep in your being and to experience what we would call like spiritual consolation, even in the midst of this emotional desolation of Ooh, grief, that there is a, a deeper place where we know we're in the Lord's will and he's calling us to trust him, that if we can just even seek out the help of another, if if it feels like this thought is taking me far from the Lord, you know, to to reach out for the prayer and support and encouragement of others, to remain in that place of closeness to the Lord that brings consolation in the midst of your suffering. And truly, truly know that we are praying for you and for your family and for all those who are in a time of grieving, because that is a uniquely difficult and very lonely time. People around you are going about life without bearing the same thing that you're bearing, and that is difficult. So thank you for sharing it with us. I feel like there are listeners who are grateful that you shared your story. We are grateful. We are lifting you up. We know you don't have to be perfect to be loved. Mm. You don't. Your body doesn't have to be perfect for you to love it. 
So I pray that that truth would penetrate you ever more deeply. Nicole, just uh, two more thoughts that I, I can share quickly. Um, I'm glad, Wendy, you brought up that point of her question about struggling with the goodness of her body. As I said, Nicole, you, I believe you're in the stage of really wrestling with the death of the Lord. And remember, everything Christ touched, he sanctified and he made it good. Uh, look at the audacity of the church to call the day Jesus died Good Friday. What? The concentration of the sum total of all evil that descended upon Jesus on that day, and the church calls it Good Friday? That's the miracle of the gospel. That's the good news. Death has been transformed into life. We have to wrestle it with that mystery, which you are wrestling with, and that is a sacred wrestling. One other scripture was the, the blind man born blind from birth, and everybody's saying, why did this happen? It's his sin. It's his parents' sin. And Jesus says, no, it was to reveal the glory of God. Why does Jesus allow, why does God allow these defects in our bodies to happen? Somehow, mysteriously, to reveal his glory. And Wendy was bringing up this principle of discerning spirits. Uh, where is the spirit coming from? Where is this voice coming from? Are you being, is there some uh, voice of the enemy getting in there to, to bring you into a place of desolation? And on that note, as a patron, I would just invite you, if you haven't already, please spend some time with the retreat that we have on our patron site. Uh, the retreat that I did and led with Father Timothy Gallagher on the Ignatian principles of discernment. Yeah. Uh, when are we in a state of consolation? When are we in a state of desolation? How do we walk through a state of desolation and open ourselves again to the consolations of the Lord, I think you'll find that very, very fruitful and helpful. Bless you, Nicole. Our next question is from a listener named Joshua. Hey, Christopher and Wendy. Since it is a requirement in most cases to be in a state of grace to receive the Eucharist, would it be accurate to say that the full sacramental benefits of sexual union in marriage can only be received while in a state of grace? If so, what if one spouse isn't in a state of grace? Ah. Is it enough to just be in your spouse's grace? Joshua, I love the way you're thinking, brother. Here's what I love about your question. I love that you are applying the principles of the theology of the body and taking those principles into questions like this. It shows you're a thinker, a ponderer, uh, and I love that. I love that. You are drawing out the connection that St. Paul himself draws out in Ephesians chapter 5, 31 to 32, where Paul links the union of man and woman with the union of Christ and the church. John Paul II says this link is so profound that these two signs, these two sacraments, marriage consummated in the union of husband and wife in the marriage bed, and the union of Christ and the church consummated in the sacrament of the Eucharist. These two sacraments, marriage and the Eucharist, are so profoundly united, John Paul II says, that they form one single mystery, one great sacrament, he says. So you are kind of teasing out that oneness, and you're making an analogy here, which is fitting, a really good question. State of grace. We have to be in a state of grace to receive the benefits and graces of the Eucharist. 
do we also have to be in a state of grace to receive the graces of the sacrament of marriage, the marriage bed? Yeah, I think the analogy is is a good one, and it's fitting. Uh, put it this way, if we are coming to the marriage bed with our hearts in a state of mortal sin, well, then how can our hearts receive the grace of that union? Now, let's also draw it out this way. Christ always pours out his grace in the Eucharist. If we receive the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin, it's as if the grace kind of bounces off our hearts. The grace is poured out, uh, but it's kind of a contracepting of the grace on the part of the bride, right? The bridegroom is Christ in the Eucharist, and he always pours out his grace. The bride, all of us receiving the Eucharist, we can close ourselves to that grace. That's why we need to be in a state of grace, which is a state of openness. To be in a state of grace is to be in a state of openness to God's love and gift, right? The marriage bed is similar. We come to the marriage bed in a state of openness, or if we do, we will receive those graces. If we come with our hearts closed, I, I think we can draw an analogy here that the graces will still be poured out by Christ, but they'll kind of bounce off, if you will. Now, other good question that Joshua brings up here is what about one spouse being in a state of grace and the other not being? St. Paul talks about this in one of his letters. He says that the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse, right? So I think we can apply that in this situation as well, that if one spouse is in a state of grace and the other is not, when they come together, the one who is receiving the grace, the one who is open to the grace, that spouse who is open in that situation is going to be a channel of graces to the other spouse that can serve very potently and powerfully to soften the other person's hardness of heart. Because that's what being out of the state of grace is. It's a hardening of our hearts. Yeah. So, yeah, Joshua, uh, good on you. I think you're drawing out some valid connections. Um, much more could be said, should be said, but that would be a doctoral dissertation and not mm. fitting for our podcast. So I'll leave it at that. Something I loved about this is that Joshua is almost kind of pointing out that there are natural benefits to married couples of their union that they can experience benefits, but that the grace is a spiritual reality yes, yes. that kind of dwells in the physical or the natural, and but goes beyond it. That's what sacraments do. Yeah, and he's kind of pointing out, well, What's happening on the spiritual level when a, a couple's coming together as a, a married couple, depending on the state of that heart? Is yeah. it hardened? Is it softened? Um, and I, I really do want to point out that God is so generous. As you said, he's always pouring out the grace. And, and he's trying to soften our hearts. So it could even be that some of the, the natural benefits— create an openness yes, to the yes. spiritual benefits Amen. and enable a spouse to begin to seek and to have that conversion that then leads to a cleansing of the heart and the openness to the full spiritual reality. Well said, Wendy. That that Yes, 
Well said. And, and I think this point, to clarify, is also important. It's not, we're not saying be perfect and then come to the marriage bed. No. Nobody would ever go to the marriage bed. We're saying rather be open. Be open to God's grace mm-hmm. and come to the marriage bed, weaknesses, brokenness, sinfulness, and all. And if there has been a, a real kind of definitive closing of the heart, and that's what mortal sin is, right, by definition, well, thanks be to God, we have the grace of the sacrament of confession where we can receive a full-on dose of the divine grace that reopens our hearts. Mm. And I'll just add this, and then we can go to our, our next question. Uh, JP2 says, the three infallible and indispensable means of living an authentic marital spirituality, here they are, number one, an ever-deepening life of prayer, number two, regular reception of the sacrament of confession, and number three, regular reception of the sacrament of the Eucharist. So there we are. We have the infallible and indispensable, meaning if we, we enter in to these sacraments with the right disposition, we will infallibly receive the grace. Can't go wrong, and we can't do without these sacraments to live an authentic marital spirituality. So this, this whole question puts us right in that pocket that JP2 leads married couples to in living out an authentic marital spirituality. Thank you, Joshua, for that question. And keep, keep my encouragement to you, Joshua, keep pressing in. I love your thinking. It reminds me of my own thinking, and, and, and it'll take you places. Keep pressing in, and with all the principles you're learning in the theology of the body, keep pressing in and applying them in, in all kinds of areas, and you'll find some really, really rich treasures. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. What would theology of the body teach about lingerie? Can it be a beautiful part of the marital embrace, or is it simply a cultural pressure? Mm. Mm. Well, I, I, I think the very way this person has asked the question may indicate where the person is, is kind of receiving this idea of bringing lingerie into the marital situation from the culture. And let us make no mistake the culture is a pornographic culture. And let me, let me rewind and just say, there's nothing about a certain pair of underwear, call it lingerie, call it underwear, call it whatever you want to call it. There's nothing about a certain piece of cloth that you might put on your body that in and of itself is immoral. Right? So let's start with that principle. You can't look at a piece of clothing or a, a, a piece of lingerie, uh, put, it, put that lingerie on a table and point at it and say, that's immoral. Uh, because clothing is an inanimate object. Morality has to do with the freedom of the human person. And when we get into that realm, we have to ask questions like this. Why are you wearing the lingerie? What association does that lingerie have in your mind and in your heart? Right? And there's no one size, sorry for this little pun, but there's no one size fits all when we're talking about lingerie. <laughs> <laughs> True. Kind of struck my funny bone. Um, there's no one size fits all in terms of the moral question 
of lingerie because let's take just a scenario where a couple, this is hard to imagine in today's world, but suppose there's a couple in a third world country who has no access to the internet, no access to social media, no access to billboards, no access to pornographic images or magazines or Victoria's Secret or any of that stuff. Hmm. And suppose they were to stumble upon some box of lingerie in the jungle and the husband said to his wife, hey, you would look really pretty in this. And she put it on and he was attracted to her in that underwear and... And that was a beautiful experience for them. Okay, that's possible. But notice all the abstractions from the connotations that we who live in the technological world and internet world and billboard world and Victoria's Secret world, I'm saying that's possible abstracted from all that stuff. What we have to recognize in the world we actually live in, if if you're listening to this podcast, you live in this world, we are these the lingerie has a certain connotation and if in your marriage in the wearing of lingerie what's happening is what's getting conjured up in your mind and your heart is victoria's secret commercials or pornography this is not an attitude or a disposition of the heart that you want to be bringing into your marriage bed um Can the heart be cleansed from those pornographic associations? Surely. But not without a major inner reorientation and purification, and that's a long journey. So I I would never say objectively wrong and moral, but I would hold out lots of cautions because of the way we're educated in the culture to think about lingerie. We are trained, for most of us, that would conjure up a disposition that would lean in the direction that the culture wants to lean us in, which is one of a usorial attitude of treating a spouse as an object. Not inevitably, but all of that needs to be on the table and looked at between a given married couple. I love that you said that. I think that what a question we have to ask ourselves is, have we equated being used with being affirmed mm. or someone wanting to use me is means I have value or those kinds of things as women. Um, and as men, maybe, have we equated that an arousal that's associated with this will give me great yes, yes. pleasure in a very self-focused kind of um, yeah. way, have we decided, oh, well, that's that's what it means to be united right. with a woman, and that's, I need that. Right. All right. So those are the kinds of questions that are, are, are some of them, there are more, you know, that I think you were touching on with when you commented on it, the usorial, meaning to use somebody, right. Right. Uh, mentality that can very often be associated with lingerie. And I just want to throw out there that There are lots of different clothing items that could all be in that category, and they aren't all equal. And we don't have a picture that we're looking at to say, what about this? Well, what about that? And I don't really want to have that. And you can't, precisely what I was saying, because in different people's minds and hearts, that could have very different meaning or connotation. Yes, and historical context and and cultural context. There's so much that is in the mix, right? Um, But I think... 
the sense of being a gift to one another, which is the desire of our hearts in the redemption and and in the sacramental reality of our marriage, then the desire to be a gift and to, in some ways, celebrate or um, highlight that sense of our body being a gift to one another can be something that guides clothing choices in a way that is... I don't want to make it like heavy. It can be joyful yes. and light, but yes. it, it, we need to remember that we you are a person, body and soul, and you're not lovable because of matching a certain cultural ideal. Yes, yes, and yes. If, if that's the goal in dressing a certain way, then that's a mistake. That's feeding a a wrong notion of your value and who you are. But, so that's that's some of what we want to look at in our own minds and hearts. How am I perceiving myself? And I'm speaking as a woman. How am I perceiving myself and my husband's gaze upon me? And and am I trying to orient it to get some kind of feeling of affirmation that's really not about my whole true person and my yes, dignity yes. and being a gift. Well said, Wendy. I, and I, you know, I, I can loop this whole episode back to where we started uh, with your haircut <laughs> and your flabbergastation and my fl- <laughs> my flabbergastation <laughs> over your haircut. Yeah. What I loved about your haircut, and mm. I said this to you, is I saw your person. Mm. It it is so your haircut is becoming. It it it's revealing mm-hmm. your person. And we could say the same thing about clothing. Um, are you putting this clothing on because it reveals your person? Mm. Right? Is the purpose of this bra or this pair of underwear, panties, whatever, lingerie, whatever you want to call it, are you wearing this to reveal your person? Does it serve the purpose of revealing the person? Or does it serve the purpose of obscuring the person? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be something that a, a married couple themselves have to examine mm-hmm. and look at. There's no, again, there's no one size fits all here. Yeah. Um, the goal is to reveal the person. And the culture pushes hard for excitement in the marriage bed being equated with stirring lust in the other. Because that's the only paradigm the culture knows. Yeah. Excitement in the marriage bed is the excitement of the journey of discovering the beauty of the person. If you can wear something that aids in discovering the beauty of the person, well, praise God. If it obscures it, that's, that's, a, that's a problem. Yeah. So, what kind of flabbergastation are you after in wearing <laughs> this or not wearing that? Or You know what I'm after. Okay. That's all we have to say about that for now. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. If you were blessed by what you heard, please share it. Uh, Leave a comment. Um, You can also rate this podcast, and that helps with boosting our ratings. Imagine that. A rating helps A rating helps. If it's a good rating. Yeah. You can also rate it if you think our podcast isn't worth much, but (laughs) probably wouldn't be listening to the end of the program if you thought our podcast wasn't worth much. Anyway, thank you, everybody. We love you. We bless you. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. And know it in your bones. You're an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. That's what we're always trying to tell them. That's That's exactly what we're telling them. And if your lingerie aids you in (laughs) (laughs) understanding... 
I don't have to say it again. But, Wendy, you can say your part. Well, you have to say you're a gift again. Say that. Okay. You're a gift. <laughs> Become what you are. Wendy, your haircut's a gift. Thanks. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 